the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Today is the second Sunday of Lent, a season leading up to, to Holy Week and Easter Sunday. In our preaching series, This Changes Everything, we are looking through the eyes and memories of Matthew at Jesus as we explore the events of those latter days of Jesus' earthly ministry. Last week, we traveled to the top of the very to the top of the mountain with Jesus and Peter and James and John to experience the transfiguration of Jesus. We saw the glory of God shining through his son. We heard the voice of God. God the Father, this is my beloved Son, who brings me great joy. Jesus had taken three of his closest disciples with him as they ascended to the top of that mountain. They had been in awe and terrified and falling face down on the ground. It was such an amazing and indeed rare opportunity for them. To see with their own eyes the majesty, the holiness of God, Christ incarnate, shone before them. Wow, what an experience. What a wonderful and yet terrifying experience they had. The disciples had been with and had been traveling with Jesus for three years already. They had heard him teach. They had witnessed as he performed miracle after miracle, healing the sick and restoring the sight of the blind and having the the lame walk. But nothing compared to what had just taken place before their very eyes on the top of the mountain. With every ounce of their being, They wanted to commemorate it. They wanted to to build three shelters as as a memorial. But Jesus would not allow it. As they started down that mountain, they must have been so excited to share the news with the other disciples of what had taken place up there. Until Jesus again said, don't tell anyone. Not until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. There must have been so many questions in their minds as they walked down that mountain. Matthew only records a snippet, the briefest of accounts, of the dialogue between Jesus and the three. It must have been so difficult for them not to just blurt out everything to the other disciples, even with Jesus' instructions not to say anything. Not yet. Now today... We move from that top of the mountain, from that mountaintop experience, as the four of them are coming back down to the valley. Re-entry is always, always difficult. I want you to think back to, remember those days when we used to be able to travel? Now, think about one of those most amazing trips or experiences that you had. I think back to the fall of uh, 2017 when I went to Scotland. And I also have to think about the next, uh, just a couple years later in the summer and the fall of 2019, when I traveled to Alaska and then to Spain. 
those were such three amazing experiences for me. I didn't want any of them to end. I could easily have stayed longer at each and every location, soaking up more and more of the incredible beauty, the cultural experiences, and, of course, the good food and the fabulous friends that I was with. But come to an end, they did. And it was back to reality once more, with only the memories living on. I can think also of those times when I have had those mountaintop experiences of faith, though not like what the disciples had experienced. But I can think of those times of retreat and those times of when I felt so close to God that I almost did not want to breathe because I didn't want to break the moment. Yet breathe I must, and coming back to reality is something that we again all must do. For though we often seek after the mountaintop experiences of faith, none of us lives there. We cannot stay there. Otherwise, they would no longer be unique and special. Every mountaintop experience must come to an end, and we must live in the valley again. In the text that was read for us earlier by Tyler, the highlight, it highlights for us the descent from that mountaintop where Jesus and the three disciples had experienced the glory of God and their reentry into the valley of need. Their reentry was sudden and abrupt. It highlights the back to reality tensions that we face when we live in that valley. They come down from the top only to find that the disciples have failed to deliver a demon-possessed boy and to hear about the dark future of Jesus. The diversity of the issues that come at Jesus and his disciples are remarkable. A strange mixture of faith and discernment, hard lessons, and seemingly very trivial questions similar to the ways, the many ways, that each of us experience in our own daily lives as we also live in the valley. Let's look at that scene. Jesus nears the base of the mountain, and he is confronted by a father who is deeply distressed, seeking help for his son. We are not told the age of the boy, just that his condition was serious. The father must have heard about Jesus' reputation as a miracle worker. He'd come to find Jesus, but seeing that Jesus was not present, he brings his request to the nine disciples that were there. The story is told also in the Gospel of Luke, who fills in a lot more details. Matthew just gives us that shortened version. In Luke, we see that the father displayed a great love for his only son. He is concerned for the safety and the dangers that his boy faces daily. Because this demon is out to destroy the boy, if possible, and causing the epileptic fits, tossing him into water, throwing him into fire, anything that he can do to try to destroy him. In Jesus' day, there were so many open fires around the community because they were in common places everywhere. Any place people were gathered, there were open fires, you could be sure, and that was a real threat to the child. 
Cooking was done mostly on an open outside fire. These, pres- these presented such a, 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 a danger to the boy. And then also there were ponds and there were cisterns around to hold the water that they gathered during the rainy season. These also presented a great danger to the boy. It is understandable that the father wanted his son healed as soon as possible. And if Jesus was not there, then why not ask the disciples to try? However, the disciples failed. Still, the father was not going to be giving up. Now, let's look at the disciples a moment. Their failure to heal the boy was the very reason that there was an argument going on at the base of that mountain between them and the scribes. The scribes were no doubt trying to take advantage of the situation and trying to be to discredit both the disciples and Jesus. The disciples did not fail because they didn't know what to do and had never done this before. If we look back in chapter 10 of Matthew, we see that Jesus had already sent them out to preach the gospel and had already said to them, you have been given the authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then when the disciples returned, they reported what they had done. And indeed, they had done these very things. Dealing with demons was not something new to them. But they failed. Why? It wasn't that they didn't believe, nor that they didn't have faith. But the problem was they didn't have enough faith. Their faith was insufficient to conquer the problem that was at hand that day. The demon did not respond immediately to their efforts to make it leave. And at that point, doubt began to enter into their minds. They wondered what they were doing wrong. Can you imagine for just a moment how the scribes started at that point when they saw the confused look on the disciples' faces that they began to taunt them and tease them? And as the disciples entered into a debate with them, it pulled them even farther and farther away from the persistence in prayer that was needed to be able to cast that demon out. They had faith but not enough, not enough to persist when there was opposition. Obviously, this situation is very disappointing for everybody, for the father, for the disciples, for the boy, and for Jesus. And then as we look, continue to look and to read through that passage, we look at Jesus' response. Now, as I read through that passage, I see one of those moments when we witness the raw humanity of Jesus. He sounds burdened. He sounds discouraged and weary. The press of the broken world is all around him and is always around him. It presses in against him and it hits him hard. He expresses the honest tension and the pull that he feels between his mission and the spiritual shallowness of his followers. Frederick Bruner, in his commentary, says, At the top of the mountain, Jesus shone and glowed. 
at the foot of the mountain, he groans and moans. Jesus' desire was to strengthen the faith of his disciples, but first there would have to be a rebuke of his res- to, in his response to them. Jesus would strengthen them, but before he could do that, they needed to understand that he was disappointed with their failure. They should have known better. They already had sufficient faith at that point in time, and yet we see that Jesus wasn't just upset with them. He was upset with the whole scene. Matthew 17, 17 says this, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Can you hear the weariness in Jesus' voice? Look again now at the contrast of what had just occurred and what was now occurring. A short time ago, Jesus had just revealed some of his glory to Peter and to James and to John. Jesus had just been talking with Moses and with Elijah. He had just heard the voice of his father praising him and instructing the disciples to listen to him. Now here they were in the valley. There was a scene of confusion, of weakness, and unbelief. But again, Jesus' disappointment is real. His disappointment is raw. Over and over again, the unbelief of that generation was being demonstrated before their eyes. Jesus had taught them. Jesus had performed miracle after miracle. The Old Testament prophecies were being fulfilled in them. And still that generation refused to recognize who Jesus was. The foolishness of the scribes arguing with the disciples attested to that as well. The inability of the disciples to cast out the demon, even after they had spent so much time with Jesus showed how much they still did not understand. The crowds who were so quick to come and to rejoice over the miracles were still so slow and hesitant to believe and follow the teachings of Jesus. Now, it wasn't so much of a moral perversion that Jesus was speaking about here. It was a perverted understanding and twisted understanding of God's revelation. Even Jesus' disciples did not understand why he was here and why he had to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die for the sin of humanity. And that same twisted thinking kept them from comprehending what it meant that Jesus would be raised up on the third day. Today, we know that there are many false teachings around. They are pulling and tugging at us, and they're trying to get us away from God. They're pulling us toward the voices that promise us happiness and wealth. Voices speaking half-truths, just as subtle as the serpent spoke in the Garden of Eden. The scene that had just occurred at the top of the mountain was in sharp contrast to that scene on the valley floor, heightening the tension even more with Jesus' purpose and what soon would be played out on the hill of Calgary. 
the more that we understand both of the holiness and the glory of God of, and the sin and the brokenness of the world, the greater that we too are in that tension. On the one hand, our desire to live and to finish God's plan for our lives here on earth, to be with God. And yet we are pulled by the things of this world. Like Paul said in Philippians 1, he is, we are betwixt and between the two, longing to be with Jesus and yet desiring to finish whatever work God has for us here. Jesus' response on that day was one that demonstrated his disappointment with the people and his longing for the work that had to be completed here on earth. It was also one of compassion because his desire was to fulfill the father's request on behalf of his son and to strengthen his faith. After the boy had been brought to Jesus, we read that Jesus rebuked the demon and sent it out of the boy and the boy was healed from that moment. Now let's look a little bit at the the man, the father. And here we look at Mark, the ninth chapter of Mark, verses 20 through 27. It's the same story, and yet we see a few more details that fill it out a little bit more for us. We see that the father had come asking for help. Was He was not really in any better shape than the disciples were in, in their faith. He had come begging Jesus to have compassion and to take pity on his son. This demonstrates that the father had some faith, but not a lot. He believed that Jesus could and would probably help him. And yet there was a weakness in his belief because it was mixed in with doubt. Here is Mark's account of what occurred after Jesus had asked that the boy be brought before him. And I read. And so they brought the boy to him. And when he saw Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into the convulsion and fell on the earth. And he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, Jesus asked the father, how long has he been like this? And the father said from childhood, it has been, it, it has oftentimes thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now, this is a phrase I want you to pay attention to because it says, but if, the father says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. That's showing that there is doubt in the father's mind. If you can do anything, have pity on us. Jesus looks them in the eye and said, if you can, all things are possible to God who believes. All things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing the boy into terrible convulsions, the spirit came out, 
The boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took the boy by the hand, raised him up, and the boy got up. We can see that belief was there in the father, but that it was just a little bit of it. Faith was there, but it was shallow. It was weak, and it was immature. Jesus' desire that day was not just to take pity on the boy, but to strengthen the faith of this father, of the disciples, and of any of those that were watching as well. In the questions that Jesus asked, in the manner of which Jesus cast out the demon, Jesus demonstrated his power and his authority. There is no doubt about that. Matthew's account simply condenses the whole scene into one that emphasizes Jesus' power rather than the details of what was happening that day. The father understood that his faith was not strong, and that is why he confessed it, saying that, you know, and asked God to intervene where his faith was weak. That is the most honest and the correct response. It does the father no good to deny it, that his faith is weak, nor does it do us any good to deny it. We need simply to be honest, to confess the truth, and to ask God for help when our faith is weak. Our faith becomes stronger and greater in amount and depth as we rely on God through the variety and various trials of life. And we see God's faithfulness is being fulfilled in his promises. Then as we look at the disciples, we move ahead just a little bit. When they were finally alone with Jesus, they had to ask, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we cast out the demon? The disciples had done it before, but why did this demon not respond like the others? Obviously, they thought that this demon, that it should have responded and that it should have left on their first command. It happened before that way. They are to be commended for asking Jesus this question because, again, it demonstrates their willingness to learn and to grow. It demonstrates their willingness to set aside their pride. It demonstrates their potential of also growing and having great faith. Think for a moment now about how often we are hindered, how often we hinder ourselves in growing in Christ's maturity because we are unwilling to ask why we fail or get stuck. A key ingredient to growing faith to having a strong sense of faith is humility, just as the disciples and the Father demonstrated. Jesus' answer to their question is direct, and yet it is encouraging. As we look at verse 20, Jesus says, Because you have a so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, then you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. 
The disciples' faith was too little that day. And it was it was demonstrated that they had too little faith oftentimes on several occasions in the ministry, such as the feeding of the 5,000 plus and the 4,000 plus. They didn't believe that Jesus could do that. And during the storm in the, of the, on the Sea of Galilee, they had doubts. They didn't have enough faith in Christ. Their faith at that point was the kind that trusts God when God provides what is already in hand. We believe God and our faith seems to be strong and healthy when our health is fine. When we have the things in this life that we desire. But yet one of the great tragedies of what is called the health and the wealth and the prosperity gospel is that that is the only kind of faith that they offer. It is easy to trust God when life is going well. But the true test of faith is when things happen, when things turn sour, our efforts fail, adversity rises, and tragedy strikes. It is how we respond on those days, in those occasions. That is the true mark of our faith. Jesus wants to see our faith grow and to strengthen, to be the kind of faith that trusts God in the midst of the storm as well as on the sunny days, in the good times as well as the bad. And when we receive a promotion or when our job is terminated, when our health is wonderful, or when it declines. God remains faithful throughout all of this. God walks with us daily in the valley and the messiness of this world. William Barclay states it in this manner. If you have faith enough, all difficulties can be solved and even the hardest task can be accomplished. Faith in God is the instrument that allows men and women to remove the hills of difficulty which block their path. My friends, we live in the valley. We cannot live and stay on the top of the mountain. We will spend most of our lives here on the everyday, the mundane, the valley floor. And yet, as we walk in the valley, Jesus walks right there with us, guiding us, caring for us, supporting us every step of the way. That is faith as we put our faith in, that God will do that. Let's pray. Our gracious God, for your promises that hold true, for the way that you guide us and teach us, the way that you strengthen us, the way that you grow and nurture our faith like that tiny mustard seed. Take our lives during Lent, grow them, nurture them, and may our faith be stronger when we come to the Holy Week than it is today. Amen.